0: Hi, this is Ekim. Hi, this is Katrina. Welcome to High Impact Coffee Hour, where you can listen to two psychology nerds chat with academics about philosophy, feminism, and science.
1: Hi, everyone.
0: (laughs) Hi, everyone. So we are back from a hiatus uh, because of how busy things have been over the past. Few months, um, but yeah. I just started grad school, and Ecom's about to start their first, uh, their second year of grad school. So we were hoping to make this episode more so about our experiences so far, what our first years have been like, um, especially Ecom's after they just experienced um, the end of it, and now we're starting a new year. So we're hoping to comment on some of the differences, uh, maybe share some productivity tips, and just see where this takes
1: us. Yeah. It's been a while. It's just me and Kat today. If you have any guest speakers you'd like to hear from, do tell us as well. Today is going to be a bit chaotic because we're talking about our first year. So like expect random things and hopefully you'll find it helpful, I guess, if you're starting grad school. And if you're thinking of joining grad school and you're interested in what it looks like, um, we're going to talk about that. Yeah,
0: exactly. So for those of you who do not know, both Ikim and I, um, our psychology phd students and um, we both live in different um, countries so that would also be interesting to see the differences between maybe the uk and the United States um, also the differences in our programs so ekin for example their program is only three years long whereas mine can range from five to seven years depending on how pr- productive I can be or how well the experiments go <laughs> pretty much so Have you felt like your first year there was extra pressure to get things done because of the shorter amount of time? Or how did your pacing for your first year go?
1: Um, I didn't really feel the extra pressure to get things done because I know in the U.S. you get a master's en route to your Ph.D. So even though technically there are a minimum of five year programs, the first two years you're mostly spending taking classes um, is my understanding. Um, and for for context, I also went to school in the U.S. and I worked in um, research labs throughout my undergraduate in, at a U.S. institution. So I'm also sort of familiar with um, just like how a lab works in the U.S. as well. Um, and here in the UK, the minimum amount of time it takes you to finish your PhD is three years. Although realistically, most people finish in four years. And then some people go on to take a fifth year, for example. Um, and then the majority of people also have a master's before they start their PhD, or at least that is my impression from talking to the people in my department. Um, might not be true for other fields, though. So um, I started my PhD right out of undergrad, which was an interesting experience because I have no idea what I'm what I was doing. Um, I didn't have a master's, nor did I do a post-bac or working a lab for a year like Katrina did which I still think um, is a a good idea. If you're thinking of doing that, I I would recommend it because um, yeah, it just gives you more experience. But I will say that if you are one of the people who wanna start your PhD straight out of undergrad, it is also totally doable. I do know people personally who have done the same. Um, The other PhD student in my lab, I believe he also started straight out of undergrad um, without a master's or anything um so yeah back to my first year experience it was um fairly busy i would say but now that i'm in my second year so i start my second year pretty much in october officially because that's when the term starts here in the uk but realistically i've been working all summer so like it's just a continuous blob um of doing random things here and there so
0: (laughs) there are no breaks
1: (laughs) yeah Uh, that's... that's another thing you don't get summer breaks did you know that in grad school we don't get three months off because when I started coming straight from undergrad I don't know why but I thought we would get like a winter break and a summer break and then I got here and people were like oh you you get eight weeks off and you just get to like pick whenever you want to take time off um So yeah, which is not bad right because I get to pick and choose and eight weeks is quite a bit and that excludes public holidays. Um, Maybe Kat can comment on like how much time you get off um, in a US program, but in the UK you generally get eight weeks off.
0: Yes, so. It's interesting because it feels like your time is really your own, both day to day and for these breaks, because a lot of people sometimes decide to take time off during the summer, which I've heard a lot of first years definitely take advantage of before you get really busy with research and projects and practicum in the case of clinical students. Um, And so it's definitely up to you. But then sometimes people also feel like they um, are behind in some of their stuff if they don't do anything in the first year, but definitely we want to stress the importance of taking that time for yourself. If you really need it. And by the time you're done with your first year, I can imagine you will need it. I'm just halfway through now, the first semester, I guess, almost done with the first semester and I'm already feeling the need for a break. So I'm really looking forward to a winter break and taking that time off and just spending with family and trying to focus on other things besides research and classes and, um, just planning constantly. So yeah,
1: there's definitely... a lot of money involved in grad school. I, I would say yes. like in terms of the percentage of time I spend on different tasks, I would say about 50% of my time is just spent organizing and planning all the different things that I have to do for classes for my PhD um, and also like um, as of recently, also teaching duties. So like if you feel like you're spending a lot of time just trying to organize things in grad school I think that's fairly common. And I think that's fairly normal. And I think once you establish a good organization system in your first year, and maybe your second year, then hopefully, you know, later on, things can just move more efficiently. And I think that's also one of the most important things that I learned in my first year, which is um, you sort of start out as a bit of this academic baby, like you really don't know as much as you would in your second or third year. So like, You don't really know how to establish a system where you find this balance between work and life Um, and then like i feel like in my first year i was very eager to directly jump into my research and to directly start running experiments and to maybe skimp on the more important parts of just figuring out how things work and to invest heavily in literature review so i think going back i would definitely advise myself to focus a lot more on just like spending, for example, you know, a couple hours a week on just reading literature as opposed to trying to um, come up with the best design possible um, or to skip any steps. So I would say, you know, invest in the groundwork of things, invest in finding that balance, um, figuring out what works for you and what doesn't, because you'll really be grateful for that in your second year, because I'm I'm trying to do that now in my second year.
0: Exactly. I've just been nodding along the entire time because I could not have said it better myself. Um, There was a meme that I sent (laughs) right before this where um, it's like this guy or us as academics right now spend so much of our time just on administrative tasks that by the time it hits evening time, that's the allocated uh, time for us to actually work on research. And by that time, a lot of people are very tired and exhausted and just want to relax and have dinner. Um, So definitely finding a way to organize your time and not feeling this pressure to immediately jump into everything. It can be, it can feel like there's a lot of pressure, but even with ECOM's three years or four years, there's still a lot of time. And especially then in the US, there is a lot of time to complete these projects. There's no need to be in a rush. Um, and it can be okay to, like ECOM said, lay the groundwork before you go into, um, doing everything and it's okay also to have your interests change because I've met a lot of people who in their first year were doing something completely different from what they're doing now in their fourth and fifth year for their dissertations and so on. So just taking this time to explore and really understand what it is that you want to do, what sort of methods you're interested in and that can really be done by looking at different papers, um, seeing what you get to do in classes and so on.
1: Yes, I should also explain that um, in the UK since you basically just do the PhD portion of grad school, as opposed to getting a master's en route, um, which like, unless you're doing one of those one plus three programs in which you do first year as a master's student, and then you have to do another first year of PhD after your first year of master's, even though you're technically in your second year. Um, But in in a typical PhD program here in the UK, you're sort of just expected to start doing research right away. Um, There's not that. Norm in the U.S. where you take a bunch of classes first and you do all the training. So you, it's basically up to you how you want to structure your time, um, which can be very freeing but also intimidating at the same time. So I think I struggled a lot with just trying to figure out where my priorities are. For example, do I want to focus on skills acquisition like data analysis, programming, or do I want to focus on like the theory part of my PhD, which is reading a lot of papers and trying to come up with the with, with a pretty sound design for my PhD topic. So like, you, it's really up to you how you want to allocate your time to different tasks. Um, there's not like a set program where you have to complete these modules in your first year or you have to complete these classes in your first year. Again, I can't really speak for programs elsewhere. Um, I'm based in Cambridge and this is the case for Cambridge where we do have access to a lot of different resources um but it's really up to you to decide which resource you want to utilize so you do have a lot of freedom so just think clearly about where your priorities lie and then go seek resources that would help you fulfill that goal as opposed to just trying to take advantage of every resource out there because you're not going to have the time to sift through every single thing and you're just going to end up feeling more overwhelmed than when you started
0: 100% i definitely fell into that first camp where i was very starry-eyed and looking at all the different resources that were on campus. So I was just really trying to figure out how I could use them and um, what I could really pursue during my first semester here. But of course, you can't do everything and there's really not enough hours in the day, especially if you're in a U.S. program. And like you said, you're on road to get your master's, you're going to have courses to take. And especially as a clinical student, there are the APA requirements. that you have to get done so you're going to be overwhelmed with classes on top of research on top of teaching responsibilities um so it's definitely important to space out your time so that you don't get overwhelmed and really um take the time to do things that you enjoy um, so that you're not spreading yourself too thin because that can definitely um be the case and and can lead to early burnout which we do not want
1: <laughs> in the yes, first semester definitely. of everything
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Um, And if it's helpful to anyone, maybe I can also share like basically what I've done in my first year so that you have an idea of what a first year PhD um, student's life looks like. Um, Honestly, I, I worked like I think I worked a lot, but honestly, I don't think I worked as much as I could have. But maybe a lot of PhD students feel that way. I would say like on an average week, I probably put in between 25 and 40 hours into work depending on how busy i am so like if i'm planning for experiments then like i would be putting a lot more time into it if i'm analyzing data then i'm looking at probably between like a 40 to 50 hour work week um because there's just a lot a lot to do for data analysis but during the low time the slow times where i'm maybe just waiting for an ethics approval, or if I'm just dealing with some logistics, like bureaucratic paperwork associated with my experiments, then um, I'm working a lot less. Although retrospectively, if you do want to work more during slow times, I would, again, recommend just reading papers and doing literature review, um, and maybe talking to your supervisor about, you know, for example, what other things you should be focusing on. So, um, and then in my first year, I started by taking on a project that did not end up being the main focus of my PhD. Um, so like Kat said, it's fairly, I think it's fairly common for people to do something in your first year to see if you wanna do that, commit to it for most of your PhD, and then you change your mind afterwards. But I would say that my second um, project, which be- did become my main focus um, for my PhD, is sort of related to my first project. So I think doing the first project, which by the way, did take out fairly well, we have a manuscript and I finished everything. So we're um, just trying to submit it and publish it and it's being accepted um, as a symposium. So I'll be giving a talk on that as well. So I think this project, you know, fared pretty well and I don't regret doing it at all. I think I learned a lot of valuable skills from it and it did inform me about my research interests and helped me make the decision um, of what to pursue for my PhD. Yes, so that took me um, probably most of my first year, and then I began running um, a study for my main PhD project in the spring, and then over the summer, uh, oh yeah, that's another thing in the UK. So like in August, I, I don't really know why. I don't think it's really like universally agreed upon, but everyone stops doing things in academia. So like everyone's on break in August. Love that. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so during that time, I was actually doing a data science residency um, on machine learning Python, from which I benefited a lot. So I would recommend that if you feel like getting additional skills over the summer, which You really don't have to like I definitely overloaded myself because I didn't really take time off in summer. But if you do find yourself with some free time in your first year and you feel like you don't really know what to do with it, skills acquisition, literature review. I think those are the two main things that I would recommend for you to focus on.
0: Yeah, that's that's really good advice. Just building your base and uh, gaining those skills that you can then use and apply for your second year, third year without feeling the pressure of having everything done and everything figured out the first semester, even the first year of everything. And your supervisor is really there to help you. And hopefully people in your lab are also very supportive, as well as people in your cohort are able to support you through some of the more tedious tasks like administrative um, actions or class work, if you do have courses to take. Um, and yeah, I mean, not being afraid to ask questions of older students as well who've gone through the similar similar things, um, because they can definitely be a huge resource. Program coordinators, the people who um really look at the administrative work that uh, you need to get done throughout your program and just making sure that you're staying on top of all all of your requirements that are going to feel overwhelming at the beginning but people get through these programs so you can too and it's just not being afraid to ask for help and for seeking out these resources and not feeling like you're behind i think that's another thing Um, it it can be really easy to compare yourself to other people, uh, whether they're in different programs, at different stages of the um, program in your cohort. It can be uh, it can feel like you're not doing enough in comparison. But remember, like everyone's doing a very different thing, even if you're in the same lab. It's very, very different from uh, what you may want to do. And so just. Keeping in mind to have a collaborative sort of outlook on things instead of a competitive one, because that ultimately makes it a much better environment and a much more uh, productive environment as well, without you having to always worry about what other people are doing. You can just focus on yourself and try to help each other through this process.
1: Yes, absolutely. I would say that if you have senior PhD students or postdocs in your lab, um, identifying who to ask for help when, I I think that's a really big skill that i've learned in my first year as well um, for example there's a PhD student in one of my um in, in my other lab from which i've learned you know like some basics about like how to use spm for fmi data which i think is really useful and she did tell me that she also picked up those skills in uh when she started learning about fMRI from another PhD student in her lab at the time who has since then graduated so i think it's fairly common for you to just you know, ask someone to take an hour of their time or two to just help you with something. Um, definitely, don't be be afraid to ask for help, and just be mindful of whether you know someone. It's a good time for someone else as well. So, like I think, you know, just scheduling other people and telling them, okay, you want to specifically discuss this portion of your experiment, or you want to seek help on this specific thing on your data analysis. Be specific about what it is that you want help for. And then correctly identify the person who is most suitable to answer those questions. Like I don't go to my supervisor for every little thing. So there are certain things that I make the decisions for myself. And then I'll just tell her this is what I've decided to do. And then certain things that I realize I'm actually confused about, in which case I would definitely ask her for help. And then there are smaller intermediate tasks that I think actually I think other students would be able to answer this. So I wouldn't have to, you know, email my supervisor and ask for help then. Um, So it's also just about determining um, like different people's skill sets and then figuring out like who is the most suitable person for you to ask your questions to. Exactly. Beautifully said, because, yeah, um, supervisors
0: can get super busy and may have multiple grad students that they're working with, undergrads as well. um, And so it can get overwhelming for them. And so making sure that you. your emails or in your meetings with them you have a clear set of goals and clear set of um, tasks or things or questions that you may have so that you can really get down into what exactly you're wanting from that meeting and making sure that everything's really goal-oriented otherwise it can get very overwhelming Um, and it can feel even more confusing if it's sort of left out in the open Um, so yeah making sure that it's all structured in that sort of way so that you're saving yourself time, you're saving other people time, and you can really work on what it is you need to do next. Another thing is these programs are very, or in my experience, i found that it's a lot of, there's a lack of structure, and I'm someone who really needs structure in order to um, do well. So it's really up to you to set that structure for yourself, whether that's putting things in your calendar, um, blocking off time specifically dedicated to a task, uh, writing things down in a journal or a, a planner, um, keeping yourself accountable, and maybe even finding an accountability buddy to make sure that you're staying on task and that you're getting things done, because it's definitely going to feel like you're in a big, ocean just out there left to swim and so if you don't plan your time out um, then it can get it can feel like there's just too much and it can feel like an avalanche of work that's left so finding a system that works best for you have you found that it's no structure for your program as well
1: yes absolutely I think that's especially true for UK programs because you don't really have that Again, two years where people tell you, you need to take this class, you need to do ABC. You really have to figure out on your own what tasks are necessary and what aren't. Um, So again, like I also struggled a lot in my first year with finding a structure. So I would often overwork because um, I tend to hyper focus on single tasks. So sometimes, you know, I might be working for like 10 hours straight and I forget to eat. Um, This doesn't really happen anymore because I think I've developed a system that really works for me and that the system allows me to find that work-life balance um so like if you're interested i think we'll also share a bit about how we organize our phd life um so for me i my my life is on spreadsheets no no surprise there yeah i very obsessed with spreadsheets so like if you are a big fan of spreadsheets like i am I would recommend picking up a little bit of JavaScript because that would really make your spreadsheeting experience so much better. You can do so much organization and automating of deciding which tasks come first and which tasks are urgent, which tasks are external versus internal obligations, um, just using spreadsheets. So, the way I organize my life via spreadsheets is basically using this modular method where I categorize different tasks by different modules that they belong to so i've got a module for life and i've got a module for training which includes classes and also random like youtubing or random courses that i take on the side also don't forget youtubing youtubing is a valid way to learn i don't care what other people say and googling Very um true. so so if i spend time for example reading a data science blog or trying to you know follow through a coding tutorial or learn about a specific statistical method then i will count that in my training module and then i have a module for career which includes for example updating my cv periodically because your cv should be updated periodically otherwise you might forget later on and also if you do apply to any jobs Um, in the future like it's just generally a good idea to keep it pretty comprehensive and then I have another module for just for meetings because in grad school you you like if you are in psychology I'm guessing you're going to face a lot of meetings so we've got lab meetings meetings with supervisors meetings with other students meetings with external collaborators so like just for meetings alone I have a different module for that Um, and of course I I have a module for research, which is very helpful because that's where I put all of my tasks related to my research projects. Um, For example, generating research ideas. I also try to do that periodically where I just open a blank document and I just write down like random thoughts that I have about my project, about my variables, about the relationships um, to try to make sense of it because I find that it's much easier for me to interpret my results if I can free write what exactly I think this means. It's much better than um, staring at my screen full of numbers and being like, I I don't know what, what this means. Yeah. So so I organize my life in a modular way. Um, how do you organize your life?
0: Yeah, that's, uh, ECAM has been a lifesaver in this realm because before this, I also would be really um, into spreadsheets and I definitely organized all of my courses um, courses uh, that I would need, as well as the requirements for APA specifically, just to make sure that I'm on task. I've been trying to plan out my semesters for the next five, six years. I know that that's really impossible because courses vary um, day by day, but it's really, or sorry, uh, year by year, but it's definitely important to make sure that you have sort of an outline of the requirements that you need if your program doesn't already offer that to you um even looking at the uh handbook that your program has that's always a really great resource and I know that um from undergrad people may think that it's really useless but I think in grad school it can be a very great resource to use um calendars google calendars are my also my life source that I really like to use because I check that every single day almost unhealthily every single um like minute of the day I make sure that I'm doing what it is that i'm supposed to be doing uh, or that i'm not missing a meeting and i make sure that i put all of my meetings on one calendar even if you may use a different email for your school accounts your personal accounts making sure that it's all aggregated onto one into one place but uh because of ecum who is a genius in these uh spreadsheets in java um i've also been using <laughs> these spreadsheets that you just described, especially for literature reviews i think that that's incredibly helpful to have all of your um let's um organized into one place where you can easily access it afterwards. I mean, Zotero is also a great thing to use um, to organize your literature as well as like different citations you may need, Um, but I've also tried to use Notion uh, recently, which also has some great places to organize literature as well as different meeting notes that you may have with advisors or different courses. Uh, I know people who use it for their schedules as well. Um, So it's definitely a great resource. Um, It's kind of a learning curve because there's just so much that you can do with it. So if you want to take the time to just sit down and look at it, that's definitely worth doing as well. But the important thing is finding a system that works for you and sticking to it. And of course, if it doesn't work after a while, switching it up and doing something else. Um, But it's definitely going to be important to have something to organize your life with. Otherwise, things are going to feel like
1: it's... Absolutely. (laughs) You should start organizing as soon as possible because otherwise your tasks are just going to pile up really fast. And, you know, in the beginning, if you're starting your first year... Or if you're just trying to organize your grad school applications, you know, just try to test out different platforms. Um, Spreadsheets is the one that works for me the most. And I've, you know, tested it out over the course of a couple of years. But I've also tried Google Keep. I've tried using Google Calendar Reminders, Google Calendar Tasks. I've also tried Trello. Um, so, you know, just try out a bunch of different things and see which one works for you the best. And then, you know, hopefully you'll find a method that works for you in the long term so that you don't have to switch between different platforms all the time. Um, again, for me, spreadsheets is the one that I go back to always. So I basically don't really use other productivity apps except for calendar, um, to keep track of what I need to do when. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's really well said. Um,
0: so what have you been doing for fun during, do you know what you did for fun during your first year? Did you feel like you had to specifically schedule things uh, that were just for you in your first we're year or even first semester?
1: We're <laughs> yeah. adults now. I think fun always has to be scheduled when you're an adult, right? No, That's so what-
0: true. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, you know, like, um, so we have a college system here at Cambridge where you get assigned to a college when you get admitted to the program. Wait, no, actually, I think you you have to apply to college uh, to a college of preference when you um apply to grad school as well. I, I honestly don't like care that much about which college, but like, you know, then I came here and people were like, well, maybe you should care because you could have ended up at a really bad college. But honestly, I, I don't know the difference. Um, but yeah, so at Cambridge, it's very much segregated your social life versus your work life. Your work life is in the department and then your social li- life mostly takes place Um, within a college where we have social events and bar nights, baking nights, and we have um, formal dinners where you can't wear jeans and you can't wear a hat and you can't wear sandals. Uh, That's all I remember. So um, yeah, I, I would say that's mostly what I've been doing for fun is just trying to participate in college events. I think I've also become quite good friends with my lab mates as well. Um, So like I do hang out with them outside of the lab as well, which is really fun because we're all psychologists and we talk a lot about um, nerdy psychology things, which I think if I did in a different context would just be judged harshly upon. Um, So, yeah, I, I think just I've been enjoying the countryside life. Sorry, enjoying is a strong word. I've been adapting Adapting, yes. I'm from a gigantic city. So like, you know, I'm just adjusting to this more peaceful, quiet academic life here in the countryside, um, which everyone else will correct me. I say, actually, Cambridge is a city. There are cows here. There are cows here. I've seen them. Say. I've seen them. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It is definitely
0: a countryside feel, but <laughs> hopefully with some city twists in there as well. Um, But yeah, the the number one message I got when I came to grad school from everyone pretty much was that it's important to have a really great support system because that is something that's really going to get you through some of the really tough parts. And of course, we would hope that the system itself would also be designed to not make you suffer. But sometimes that is not the case. So it's really important to have to surround yourself with people who will lift you up and will make you forget about the things that you have to do in grad school like even surrounding yourself with people from different concentrations in psychology uh you can even interact with people who are not in grad school and that can be a really grounding experience to show you that people don't work twenty four seven and they they stop their work at five and are able to have a life outside of um their requirements and stuff because a phd really is like a job and it can sometimes feel like there's a blurry line of of what you should consider yourself because you're an employee on one hand, you're a student on the other. And so it can really feel like there's a lot on your plate. So having people who understand where you're coming from, people from different aspects of your life, uh, people from across the world who are there to support you, like Ekim e- e- is uh, to me, and just making sure that you're having a life outside of the things that you have to do um, and scheduling that time if you must, because like EECM said, fun time must be scheduled.
1: So. Yeah. Yeah, And, uh, you know, like, I think your relationship with your cohort also, like, matters for a lot sure. for the mental house. So, mm-hmm. like, try to get to know your cohort. Don't be way too reclusive about it. Um, I, I definitely am guilty of doing that because I specifically chose to live alone because I didn't want to live with other grad students. But actually, you know, I have friends who live with other grad students, and I think they're having a lot of fun and, you know, very lively households and dinners and stuff. So, you know, just try to, like, determine what level of social interactions you would like to have, and then try to find good people that also share your values and you feel like would support you through your grad school journey. And on the other hand, if you feel like someone is being condescending to to you, which does happen, unfortunately, in grad school, um, especially when you interact with you know, maybe talk to grad students who feel like what they do is so much more important, um, etc. You know, you don't you don't necessarily have to engage with them. Just try to find your crowd. Um, You know, just know that what you do is valid, what you study is valid. And ultimately, nobody else can tell you whether your work is worthy or not, because you're the only person who's able to determine that for yourself.
0: That was so well said. I mean, it's so important that you don't Uh, surround yourself with people who have that superiority complex uh over you um, or have those toxic behaviors because that's just going to really bring you down and it's going to make this experience 10 times more difficult but you cannot afford to have so the things that you can control are hopefully being around people who will lift you up instead of uh push you down Um, and that can really be found in your cohorts in your lab uh, members with your advisor um in the university setting as a whole, like going to social events that your university may put on, uh, doing things in the community, wherever you may live. So for example, you can can maybe start a farming experience with the cows (laughs) and have people go and pet the cows or something, I don't know if that's a lot, but just doing things- (laughs) Exactly, so just just making sure that you are developing your hobbies um, and your support systems. As a whole. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think um to wrap up, maybe we should address the elephant in a room, which is imposter syndrome in grad school. Yes. Oh, that's
0: a big one. Raising
1: my hand super high because <laughs> I definitely experienced that greatly. Yep. I experienced a lot of it in my first year. And I think now I'm just better at managing it, but it's definitely mm-hmm. still there. You know, yes. like if you ever felt like you're at a meeting where you just feel like you're not competent or that you're not sounding ele- intelligent enough. Know that you're not alone. Your feelings are definitely shared by a lot of grad students from the people that I've talked to. A lot of people, you know, report feeling this way. I think it's just fairly common, even though, like, I still think, you know, unfortunately, there there's a lack of support for grad students when it comes to mental health. Um, I will say that like when I, when I started my PhD, one of my top priority was to find a good therapist because I knew that grad school was going to be a stressful and it's going, it's going to be a stressful experience and it's going to be a marathon. So I wanted to take care of my mental health first. And I think that was a really great decision. So I would recommend that if you are starting grad school or if you're just starting the grad school application process, which is also incredibly stressful, you know, consider investing in a therapist, I opted for a therapy, a therapist trainer which means that they're training to wrap uh, to rack up hours in order to become a licensed therapist so the fees are actually really low i pay 20 pounds per session which i think in u.s dollars is about 25 dollars um
0: which, yeah that's you know,
1: great yeah it's not totally unaffordable um so i think that's yeah that's definitely an option to go um if you are experiencing a lot of imposter syndrome and if you feel comfortable with your supervisor I think sometimes they can also help you by, you know, providing an alternative perspective. My supervisor has been fairly supportive and she has definitely, you know, told me multiple times that I talk, I talk down about myself. And in reality, I'm doing a pretty good job, which I think, you know, it's also helpful to hear that from your supervisor.
0: Yes, 100% seeking that support. And I know that that's a very privileged thing because some people don't have that good relationship with their supervisor. And if that's the case, then also find maybe a way, really look inwards and see whether it's worth pursuing it because you don't want to be in an environment where you're not supported by your PI or by your program. And so you really need to put your mental health above all, because otherwise you won't have anything and you're just going to keep crumbling. Um, And that's really one of the things that I also learned was investing in a therapist during grad school, because that is something that you're definitely, even if you don't feel like you need it, um, it's always nice to have an outside perspective and someone who can listen to you and just give you another um, opinion and make sure that you don't feel like like you don't belong or you Don't fit in, and a lot of people experience these feelings. So, definitely, even talking about it with other people in your program or people in your lab or cohort, because everyone I'm sure has gone through feelings of not belonging or feelings like, oh, what am I doing here? They made a mistake. I don't, I'm not doing well in the class, I'm not doing well in my research. Um, But these thoughts can become persuasive, but it's just up to you to learn those sort of skills to swap those thoughts away and just keep on. doing what you did because you got to this position and applying in the first place is also such a huge milestone. So it's nearing the application deadline. So pat yourself on the back for that. And I think Ekim and I can also go through an episode of our application experience separately for next episode
1: yes be- if you're interested definitely let us know on twitter we, we're we pretty active on twitter so yeah um if you, if you want a free copy of my planner by the way um <laughs> yes. you're also you know welcome to request it via twitter just it let us know amazing yeah. yes and- i highly recommend
0: but yeah so seriously um take care of yourself is the number one thing and don't be afraid to ask for help when you need it because this is going to be a very long journey as i've been told and um it's it's gonna be it's gonna be something, but it's hopefully gonna be very rewarding and fulfilling, and all the things that you went to grad school for. Hopefully, you accomplish all of those things and more. Um, there's always yes. surprises around the corner, and some things may occur where where you can't plan it, and it's something that you don't expect. But that's life, and you can't always plan yeah. everything, even though we. I- just- went on a rant of how we should plan everything a lot of these things do not come to fruition and that's okay
1: yeah it's gonna take time you yeah. know just allow, allow yourself that time to get acquainted to organization things and I, I will just add to a fine as a final point that I look back on my first year really fondly I think I've learned a lot and that I've grown a lot as a researcher Um and I feel very motivated in my second year to continue pursuing my PhD topic I'm genuinely interested in it and I'm very obsessed with what i study and i i love what i do and i you know if i know that there's a lot of negativity about grad school experiences out there and they're all totally valid i think different people just have different experiences but i just want to say that if you love doing research if you love science if you love answering questions if you're curious i think grad school can be a really rewarding experience not sure about the job prospects i'll, I'll right. update you. <laughs> Yeah, that's going to be the next uh, tough part to get through. Um,
0: <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's okay to adapt and change and, and even change your mind about grad school or about research or about this field as a whole, because there, we still do have such a long way to go and hopefully the next generation people and the current generation are fixing the issues that are present. And we will definitely go more into detail with those things in other episodes Um, And I'm sure we've already gone through some of them with some of our guests. So it's going to be fun. And thank you all for listening. And hopefully this was helpful in some way or another.
1: Thanks for tuning in. Bye Bye.